This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. World War II radio podcast. Today we have the CBS News broadcast of December 6th, 1941, which clearly sets the stage for a country on the edge of war. It is the first of several episodes we'll have this week as we honor the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. The World War II radio podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations helps to continue to produce the podcast. And thanks to those of you who have already donated. So thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II radio podcast. The World Today The Columbia Broadcasting System now presents a summary of all the important news in the world today. Reports from CBS correspondents by Transatlantic and Transpacific Shortwave Radio. And the latest developments as received by Columbia's newsroom here in New York. Tonight, John Daly will call in Bob Trout from London, Ford Wilkins from Manila, and Albert Warner from our own national capital, Washington. And now first, John Daly. The Far East situation and the war in Russia and Libya topped the news tonight. And first, the story of the fighting in Europe and Africa before going to the Philippines and our own capital for reports on the crisis in Japanese-American relations. The Soviet version of the Russian war reports that along the Sea of Azov in the far south, the Red Army has driven the retreating Germans across the Mias River and established bridgeheads on the West Bank, thereby cutting off the enemy on the Taganrog Peninsula. And on the Moscow front, where the fighting is going on in weather from 10 to 15 degrees below zero, it's asserted the Nazis have been hurled back along the Mozhaisk Highway. The invaders are now more the victims of cold than of bullets, according to the Russians, who refer to the weather as our December frost. But in the Tula sector, south of the capital, the Russians admit a new German breakthrough, creating a critical situation in that zone. The latest Soviet official communique is vague, however. But Axis reports assert that a million and a half men are now driving on the capital. And there's some evidence that Moscow is being attacked from the air as well. At Berlin, it's declared the great Russian drive in the south has been stopped. And it's asserted, contrary to the Soviet version, that the Germans are making progress in the Mozhaisk sector of the Moscow front. New severe fighting in Libya was reported by the German high command today. And a Rome communique describes heavy fighting in the desert around Bear El Gobi. Details, however, are scant. That's the Libyan story, as reported by the Axis. We turn now to the British capital for the report of Bob Trout. Go ahead, London. London got today's communique from Libya, which told of British pressure on the enemy throughout the area of operation. There are no reports here indicating the start of any more major tank battles in Libya. But late tonight, London heard that two American-built Tomahawk planes have shot down 20 German Junkers dive bombers in Libya. In less than 15 minutes, Great Britain will officially be at war with Romania, Hungary, and Finland. These three countries are regarded here as German puppets. And tonight, the British radio reminded its home listeners 
that this is not the first time that German troops have established themselves in Finland. 24 years ago, in the spring of 1918, German troops landed in Finland to take part in a war against Russia. It was over a month later, and then the Finns realized that the Germans had no intention of leaving. The Kaiser's brother-in-law became the king of Finland. And then the Allies defeated Germany, and Finland found herself free. The British home radio ended this talk by quoting the words of the British Foreign Secretary spoken in Parliament in August 1918. Said Mr. Balfour, next to being enslaved by Germany, there is no worse fate than being liberated by Germany. Finland is now being told that she owes her freedom to Germany, but Germany is plundering her, garrisoning her, choosing her form of government, and endeavoring to force her into the Great War. That was the British view in 1918, and that is the British view today. London heard the German radio say that Belgian King Leopold last September married Mary Lilia Bale, daughter of the former Belgian Minister of Agriculture and a schoolgirl in England during the First World War. The Belgian government in London has no word of this reported marriage of the king. The Chinese ambassador, Dr. Wellington Koo, today said in London that if Japan decides to pounce on another victim, it would be as well that the democracies should avail themselves of the opportunity to remove, once and for all, this menace. Most of the time, the customary angry tone of Japanese newspapers causes no surprise here. But today, reports from Tokyo tell us that the Japanese papers are angry because Japan's reply to the United States was published in America. And this did surprise the British. It is the strangest reason for getting angry that London has heard in a long time. You have heard before that the position of the British government is that the Japanese talks are America's business and Great Britain is not intruding. But the British people believe that the Orient is just another sector on the worldwide front in this war, and, of course, they are interested in it. A weekly review, The New Statesman and Nation, today lists a few of the possibilities and wonders what the United States will do if Japan tries to attack Thailand, tries to attack British territory, or the Dutch East Indies, or Russia. The New Statesman points out that Russia is excluded from the ABCD group and then says, Secretary of State Cordell Hull will never compromise over the basic principles of international morals which he reaffirmed in his last dispatch to Tokyo. How much he will do to enforce them is another matter. And now we continue the Far East story with a report direct from an American vantage point. Ford Wilkins is standing by in the Philippine capital. We take you now across the Atlantic and America and the Pacific. Go ahead, Manila. This is Manila. I am reporting to you this morning from the center of a circle of tension extending roughly 1,500 to 2,000 miles in every direction. Preparations for war in this area have reached a new high level. In Singapore, where the British Eastern Fleet is based, we hear that all naval personnel has been recalled to ships. Royal Air Force pilots and men have been ordered to barracks and hangars. Army forces are under similar orders. Singapore has been on emergency status by order of the governor for several days. Mobilization of volunteers has just been completed. 
An urgent government decree prohibits non-Britishers from leaving the country without special permission. This resulted in stopping a Thai ship about to sail for Bangkok with 20 Japanese aboard. Four Japanese newspaper men were ordered ashore. The reason for this move has not officially been made clear. At Bangkok, plans for removal of the capital of Thailand to an unspecified location in the event of war were announced by the Ministry of the Interior. Simultaneously, the Premier took occasion to announce Thai had concluded no secret pact with any foreign power. At Batavia, capital of Java and government center for the Dutch East Indies, official last-minute preparations for war have been made. Police reserves have been mustered into service. The fleet is at full wartime strength. Australia is in a state of excitement. At Melbourne, one correspondent cabled the country is on the brink of war with Japan. The Australian War Cabinet adjourned and was suddenly recalled on information indicating further deterioration of the Far East political picture. All military leaves have been canceled. Here in the Philippines, the Commonwealth government is rushing plans to cope with an emergency. After a meeting of government heads with President Quezon and Baguio, Residents of Manila who have homes or relatives in the provinces were urged to leave the city as a prelude to compulsory evacuation of women, children, and men whose services are not urgently required. There is a suggestion of closing the schools. United States military and naval forces have issued no emergency orders, but they are in a state of constant preparation. In Shanghai, key active officials are reported to be conferring with Captain Fritz Wiedemann, German Consul General from Tintin, lately of San Francisco. Britishers and Americans there and in Hong Kong have been advised to leave. This is Ford Wilkins in Manila, returning you now to CBS in New York. That was Ford Wilkins in Manila. Now Albert Warner is ready to report the Far East story from our own capital. We take you now to Washington. Against the dark counter moves of military preparation in the Far East, Washington maintained a grim silence today. White House and State Department waited for the reply which Japan is yet to make to Mr. Hull's note setting forth basic principles for a Far Eastern settlement. They clung to silence on the Japanese note of yesterday, which sought to explain Japanese troop movements into French Indochina. But Tokyo's soft answer had not turned away American suspicion. Washington is not convinced that the troop movements were exaggerated or that they were not bent on new aggression. But several senators read into the Japanese delay a hopeful sign. I have had the view all along, said Senator George, that the Japanese do not want to force the issue. Maxim Litvinov, the new Russian ambassador, arrives here by plane tomorrow. He landed in San Francisco today, voicing thanks for American aid in the Russian fight against Hitler. Russia has not been represented in these Far Eastern discussions. To be sure, they have been centered upon South Asia, and perhaps also Russia would prefer not to do anything which might promote its bickering with Japan. But the Soviet has a vital interest at stake. There is no outburst of statements here on the British declaration of war on Finland. It was expected. The secretaries of state and war have several times vainly urged Finland 
to rest upon the recovery of its lost territory. There is a report that the United States will take over Finnish ships in American waters. Finnish Minister Prokope tells us he has not been so notified yet. In his annual report, Secretary of the Navy Knox declares tonight that the United States has become the greatest naval power in the world. But he said we must arm against any possible combination of powers against us. The Secretary reports 325 new ships commissioned, 2,059 new airplanes acquired, about 700 vessels under construction, a chain of new ocean bases developed, and personnel increased by 115,000 officers and men. Air bases in the Alaska and Aleutian Islands and elsewhere in the Pacific have a strategic importance which is obvious, Secretary Knox declared, perhaps with an eye on Japan. But Knox is a man who believes in keeping military secrets. Thus, though he discloses that the entire stock of fuel oil in Hawaii will be eventually stored underground, the four pages of his report, which deal with the American islands of Samoa and Guam in the far Pacific, read like a sociological survey. You learn about hurricanes, education, and banana production. And near the end, you will see a sentence. It says that economic conditions on the islands have improved due to money being spent on federal projects. That is the one small hint of new American striking power at one point only 1,500 miles from Japan. More labor trouble crops up. The Independent Welders Union says 75,000 men who hold key jobs in the defense program will strike in shipyards next Tuesday. Unless the AFL stops interfering with this union. For other news on the labor situation, I return you now to New York. Here in New York today, it was indicated that the captive coal mine dispute, which recently created the gravest threat to production since the defense program began, may be settled within the next 48 hours. Dr. John R. Steelman, who's chairman of the arbitration board in the union shop controversy, said that he hopes the board will be able to complete its task within that time. The board, consisting of John L. Lewis for the CIO and Benjamin Fairless for the captive mine owners, with Steelman as chairman, has recessed until noon tomorrow. And that's the story of labor. There is news from Latin America. President Batista of Cuba, a few hours ago, asked Cuba's Congress to declare a state of emergency and grant the cabinet extraordinary powers to rule by decree for 45 days. Batista declared Cuba's national defense effort required emergency action. In Mexico City, Vice Admiral Otardo de Mendoza has disclosed a Nazi plot to destroy the port of Tampico. He declared the captains and crews of 10 Axis ships seized by the Mexican government at Tampico last April had loaded their vessels with combustibles with the aim of exploding their ships and the whole port as well. In Honduras today, President Carrillas Andino told Parliament that he has documentary proof that Axis agents had attempted to set up puppet governments in Latin America which would fight against the United States. And describing President Roosevelt as the defender of weak nations, Andino declared that Honduras would do everything possible in support of democracy and its defense. In Argentina, police are taking special precautions tonight against possible disorders in tomorrow's election in the province of Buenos Aires, the most populous in the country, although it does not include the city of Buenos Aires. The race is between the conservative party of acting President Ramones Castillo and the radical party of the opposition, which is anti-Nazi and pro-democratic. The ministers of war and navy ordered all troops confined to barracks tomorrow, and all civilian planes will be grounded. And that's the world today.
This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.